0: One of the great parts of leadership is developing a vision. You interact with lots of other people, ask questions, put together a plan, and then craft a vision to propel the organization forward. But of course, leadership is about more than the vision thing, as George H.W. Bush called it. Henry Ford was fond of saying, Vision without execution is hallucination. That's why you need to make decisions or get your team to make decisions and relentlessly execute on your vision. The leaders who constantly harp on about their grand vision or who have analysis paralysis can't seem to get out of their own way. They can't execute to save their lives. This is where a chief operating officer or a CEO with strong execution skills comes in. Now, you still need the vision, but someone, someone needs to step up to put it into action. Because, as Henry Ford would agree, without action, you're just spinning your wheels. (inaudible) Have you ever admired a leader and wondered just what it is that makes her who she is? how he came to embrace the things that advanced him? Welcome to Timeless Leadership, where we look at the principles that define success. This is a show for leaders at all stages of their careers who aspire to understand what it truly means to be a leader. And who is a leader? Dolly Parton said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more and become more you are a leader together we'll explore key principles not only in the sense of fundamentals but also in the ethical sense the habits character traits and virtues that form the backbone of leadership principles that are just as relevant and essential in the 21st century as they were in the first century this is Timeless Leadership. Well, hi there, and welcome to Timeless Leadership, where we explore principles and virtues that accompany successful and admirable leaders. I'm Scott Monty. Thank you so much for considering the show worthy of your time, and it's my hope that each episode here, we provide you with the quality of conversation that keeps you coming back. We do this every two weeks, And this is the last show of Season 2. And we'll be starting Season 3 straight away, so just make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, subscribe to the Timeless and Timely newsletter, where I regularly write about leadership and communication. The link is in the show notes, or if you're on Substack, just search for Timeless and Timely. This week, we're talking about a bias toward action. Adam Singer isn't your usual leader. Don't get me wrong, he's a savvy marketing leader, but his approach is refreshing. He began his career in digital marketing with a marketing agency, eventually taking a job at Google on the Google Analytics team. Never one to keep his ideas to himself, he became a power Twitter user, sharing content and observations and generating conversations along the way. His affability, inquisitiveness, and willingness to back up his words led him to becoming a director of marketing for a biotech firm and then chief marketing officer for Think3, a fund dedicated to helping entrepreneurs get their next shot. And finally, he became vice president of marketing marketing at Lex, which is a new real estate market. Adam enjoys mixing and making electronic music, writing his newsletter, Hot Takes, and he lives in Austin with his wife and his dog, Dash, whom he credits with eternal wisdom. And just a side note, all of the music you hear except for our theme song in this episode is Adam's. Adam Singer, welcome to Timeless Leadership. Thanks, Scott. Good to see you. So remind me, where are paths first crossed? That's a good question.
1: Um, I'm going to have to go into the dusty caverns of our, of our whiskey-soaked memories to, to go back that far. We are friends from back in the day before the advent of... Twitter and all the modern social media platforms, we all actually used to blog and share long form thoughts. And so Scott and myself, if you're unaware, are part of the first iteration of the, you know, the, the, the new word that people call them pejoratively would be think boys or thought leaders online, but, but we don't like those terms. And in fact, I still will never use those terms, even though Scott is, has been called like a predominant thought leader. We were the nerds that were sharing things online before it was cool back in the day. And so um, I'm also aging, both of us. I'm so sorry, Scott. I actually think getting old is cooler. I think society has this really silly bias against um, our elders when in fact, if we, are quiet and listen to them they can skip us ahead and give us the lessons
0: that they learned thank you i mean that's exactly what i write about on timeless and timely every week you know there's so many lessons out there why not learn from other people's mistakes instead of making your own over and over again
1: because it's human nature you got to do it yourself um there's a book on um there's a book in my bookshop which is fantastic it's called how I lost a million dollars, and it's about an investor. This actually happened in the 70s and 80s is when it took place, a million dollars, a lot more back then, um, you know, inflation and whatnot. And it's funny because he actually had an investing mentor tell him what not to do, and what do you think he did? He had to do all of those things himself. And so it is human nature. Um, he wrote this book very soberingly to say Here's what not to do. And you know what? I'm sure tons of people have read it and still done those things. And so um, I, I, I think that it's a hard thing to to, to really imprint, imprint upon someone and impress upon someone within a culture that does worship and bias towards youth.
0: I, I think that's a great point. I mean, youth has always been uh, both revered and reviled. Uh, you know, I, I can look back into uh, some ancient Greek texts. A professor of mine at Boston University, Myra Reinhold, wrote a piece uh, about the ancient Greeks basically throwing their hands up in frustration, at basically saying kids these days, they think they know everything. And, you know, it's the same cycle we see. Every generation hates the previous generation or the, you know, yeah, the up-and-coming and- one.
1: I think there's 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 probably always valid reasons for it too. And so the one you could point out now are things like home prices, or you could point at, you know, the Fed propping up markets to keep, you know, retired boomers comfortable in their 401ks. And um so the 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 fact that there are reasons to say, you know, OK, Boomer is the new colloquialism. Not that either of us are even in the Boomer cohort. I think you're, you're X and I'm like, I'm almost X. I'm like on the edge of X millennial. Um, but there were definitely pro- there were things that happened during those times because it's not like life within relative experience is any harder or easier unless you're in a gulag or something, you know, that they they felt was the previous cohort not upholding the social construct. And I think that's why, that's why, you know, there, there is that, you know, sort of bias youth. Well, these guys did X, Y, and Z wrong. Look how shit the world is. And they're like, guys, the world has always been shitty. We're making incremental improvements. And so um, it's such a great discussion. Um, I think also social media has put youth worship on, on meth, right? Like there are, there's a whole industry that exists, To help women look look younger, to help um, you know guys feel like they're cool and on top of trends, and have the you know flashiest car or the you know the coolest watch, and and I think that um, all of these things are sort of I I think they're a little bit symbolic of a a slightly sick culture because once you grow up a little bit and and you mature slightly, you realize that you know they're basically you know. The things that they're doing don't matter. Like in the scheme, of it's, it has no bearing on anything. So it's an interesting time we live in because you would think technology with the open access to anything, like you want to learn something, look it up on YouTube, and you can you can figure out how to do it in ten minutes, and you you have like you know the world's information at your fingertips. And we get videos of people half naked on the beach, you know, posting about how great their lives are and. You know, asking for brands to give them things.
0: So. Well, you want to talk about how far we've come. I mean, TikTok just turned on its search engine, which is going to be extremely powerful because yeah. when people are looking to get answers and they're looking to do it quickly, they'd rather do it with a 60 second video than a 12 minute video from YouTube. And just yesterday I saw someone post a young woman who teaches Ukrainians how to drive tanks on TikTok. And there's a lot of abandoned tanks and other Russian military artillery and, and uh, equipment there. So this is something that's going to be uh, extraordinarily useful. So, I mean, you said a lot of things there the, to, uh, to unpack. But one uh, I wanted to, to kind of uh, fine-tune, and that is uh, you, you mentioned a bias. I want to I talk a little bit about your bias, which is a bias toward action. You know, we can, we can stand on the top of the hill and scream about the iniquities, about the unfairness, about how the previous generation borked the system. But ultimately, this is the reality we're living in, and you need to make decisions based on reality. And you actually, in the last couple of years, made a very significant decision in terms of your location, You want to talk about that whole process and what what, uh, started you on that journey?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, I had moved to Bay Area. Well, let me back up. I've lived in many different cities throughout my adult life. I think a cool thing in America is we have all of these wonderful places and there's different cultures, different cuisines, music, art, all these reasons, topography to to try out a bunch of different places. And, you know, we're marketers, Scott. So what really is a marketer? Well, we're part, you're part artist and part creative, but the other thing that you are is you're a student of humanity. And so living in a lot of different places and getting to experience different cities is something I highly advise, um, young people to do. Don't do it forever. Don't, you know, still be, you know, 40 or 50 and have no family and no home. I mean, some people do, and th- that's great for them. No judgment on their lifestyle. But at the same time, in your, you know, the, 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 the sort of, lift and risk threshold of moving somewhere else, especially if you're blessed to have a knowledge economy job that can be done from anywhere, uh, which thanks to the pandemic, we're going to make that how it should have been for a while, where the optionality of where you work will, will persist at every company. Um, so so I've enjoyed spending time in different places. Um, I spent about a decade in San Francisco. I moved there basically at the height of the financial crisis in 2008. And that worked out well because I rented an apartment for probably half the costs that they're going for now. So all about that market timing, you should always take advantage of market timing in everything that you do. It's underrated. We don't talk about it, but but you should learn it. And it's like a, a little bit of a cheat code for life because all of business, humanity, everything is on cycles. It's it, none of it's new. And so, um, Yeah, I spent about 10 years there, uh, had a lot of great jobs, friends, uh, tried to participate civically, volunteered at Spur and, um, you know, was an artist in the local community. I play electronic music and write my own um, in free time. And so after about 10 years there, you know, I got married, I rescued a dog and we were still living in a tiny, you know, 700 square foot city apartment which after um you, you know Scott you know me I'm I'm loud and I move around a lot and I always have things going on. I was my wife and I were like we need a bigger place. And so Austin is a is a growth economy. I have a lot of friends here Um, we wanted to build a home. We wanted to like, since we had both waited, my wife and I till about 40 to be homeowners, we figured it should just be perfect. We don't want to remodel or anything. And in Texas, you can get a piece of land as large or small as you want. It's not too expensive. Um, even building a house, well, Cost of goods have, has gone up due to inflation. Um, it's still it's it's still not cost prohibitive to build a home. It actually is probably cheaper still because you're taking on that time frame it takes to construct. So I I'm like pro millennial and young people going through the process. You know, go with uh, one of the one of the big home builders. They won't screw it up. They've been doing this stuff forever. Or you know, find a boutique one. But we built a home in Austin and moved out here right before a global pandemic hit, which moving to a new place um, is stressful. When there's a global pandemic, that's even more stress added to it. We're actually living in temp housing um, in an apartment while they built our home, but got it done. And we basically got to ride out the pandemic in a, in a real house instead of a tiny city apartment where um, I, I, my friend has odds that my wife would have left me if we would have stayed there. So that all worked out for the best. Um,
0: well, it, so- I mean, you, you, you talk about market timing. I mean, that, that's clearly, uh, you know, you moved on your wife before she could move away from you. So, um, <laughs> and, and quite frankly, you got to Austin before Austin became, you know, the trendy place that it is now. I mean, certainly there was already an uptick there, but. I think since you've moved, you've only seen your decision validated by virtue of so many other people deciding to make Austin a home.
1: Right. I mean, once I came here um, and Elon Musk and Joe Rogan saw it was safe, you know, they gave me a call and they said, hey, is it cool if we come? And I said, yeah, guys, you, you guys are cool. Come on. Down. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I can only imagine. Um, so as, as we think about market timing, because this is a really interesting topic, um, you, you said like this is a cheat code for life. And I, I completely agree. And yet, talking about human nature again, it's human nature to move with the herd. And it's really difficult for people to kind of pull themselves away from what they see as a rush to doing something. Uh, you know, the, obviously, the, the entire uh, premise of the market is buy low, sell high. And yet, as the market tanks, we see people selling off out of panic And seeing what other people do. So what is your advice to the young professional, whether it's in, you know, something related to a job like the Great uh, Resignation, whether it is investing or or anything else about kind of going counter to their human nature and utilizing this market timing?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's all really just about thinking for yourself and learning to be a great analyst. And so my background as a marketer is heavily skewed towards um, analytics and data, not just from working on Google Analytics, but I used to work with a mutual friend of ours, Lee Odin. Their marketing shop is like, their backgrounds are hardcore, quantitative uh, direct marketers. They were doing direct marketing before the internet and before it was cool and knew the return of every cent spent uh, to revenue created on the business. And so that taught me, you know, um, God, or you bring data, God's the only one who can bring opinions, right? There's some quote there I'm screwing up. And And you're you're talking about top rank
0: marketing now, right? Yeah. Top rank marketing. Okay.
1: And, and so yeah, everyone knows Lee already too. So, um, so the examples you shared of the stock market are a good one, but let's give, let's give a different one because I think this helps crystallize it. So in, in the nineties, there was a really interesting company, Called Webvan, and what Webvan was trying to do was create ride sharing and you know get people from point A to point B. Well, Uber comes along, and the Uber's timing was correct, and they took an idea that already existed. It was tried in the previous cycle, and they thought, hmm, we have mobile devices on us twenty four seven. So does everyone else? They have location tracking. Um, they work. They're fast. They're always connected to the internet. We have payments on our phone. Wow well, wait, why am I, why am I standing on the corner trying to yell at some cab who's never gonna you know, pay attention to me or stop? Or I've been in a section of a neighborhood where you know, I can't even get a cab or I don't even know if cabs will come there, right? Because we all have been in uh, a part of a city that a cab won't come to, right? It's a very, it, it's, it was a very shady industry. And so Uber is not a novel idea, but that was a idea at the right time. That was an idea where timing mattered about execution. And another one of those would be Chewy, if we want to look to previous market cycles. Chewy is pe- what Pets.com should have been. And it's not that Pets.com was bad. They had a wonderful product. It worked, um, but it wasn't at the right time. And so um, you know, we as marketers like to think our creative campaigns and our snappy taglines and our, and our YouTube ads – the, those are the things that matter most and, and they do matter and they're closing customers, but there are larger forces at play um, within your own marketing, within starting a company, within your own life. And so there, you know, think of it as the water in which we swim. You know, there's the old parable of two fish are swimming through the ocean and one of the fish says to the other fish, how's the water? And the, the fish responds, what the fuck is water? right? So it's easy to be swimming through, through your little world and, you know, have your head down. And, um, however that manifests large or small, it manifests at basically all levels of consciousness and thought. And so all you have to do is you have to extricate yourself from being in the water and be able to look at the water objectively. And so that's hard, right? Cause a lot, a lot of, in a lot of cases, um, you know, your environment that you live in is, is one that, that you personally created. You feel like you have skin in the game and it can't go another way. You can't leave that job because, you know, mom and dad said you should always be at the Fortune 500 company and, you know, it's a safe job or, you know, you can't take that, you know, you, you can't take that trip to whatever whatever developing nation. It's, it's too risky. You know, you could get robbed or something. Well, you know, you're not going to get perspective outside of where you are. You're not going to get enough experience to be able to, to be able to like look at your environment and understand it. Cause if you just stand it, you never have perspective. So, um, you know, I think that's another, we we're talking about, you know, moving around as a young person. I also will add post pandemic, uh, travel more, go see the world. Scott, you and I are both lucky as part of our careers. You know, we've gotten to give talks all over the world on marketing. And I don't know about you, but I get far more back from not just, Learning to speak in public, that's fine and great. But from the time spent in that new place with different people, you know, talking to them and hearing their stories, I think gives me more than, you know, them who paid to come to this event and see me. And so, so yeah, it's, you know, we're very lucky to experience these things, but you don't have to be, everyone can have these experiences.
0: Yeah. I gave a leadership talk last fall, was my first time back out on the road after nearly a year and a half. And. It was, uh, it was set in, um, Colorado Springs. I was at the Broadmoor and I, I knew what I was talking about. I had made up the slides and I'm looking out the window of my room when I got there. And this was the day before I was scheduled to speak and I'm looking up at a mountain, um, which, which is just the other side of Pikes Peak. And there's a, there's an encampment at the top of the mountain that the hotel uses for executive retreats and things like that. And I remembered that years ago I had been up there by virtue of a a client meeting and suddenly I'm inspired by my surroundings and suddenly my talk took a whole new meaning on and I completely trashed the second half of it and rebuilt it based on the setting I was in, based on what I was inspired by. And that's
1: awesome.
0: And and look, you, you, I think you talk about this all the time. You've got a dog dash and you're spending a lot more time outside now, certainly than you would have when you were in San Francisco and people should, humans should be led by dogs. I agree. I agree. They know so much, so much more than us. And, and they have so much compassion for us.
1: When when they prompt you to go outside for exercise their physiology is telling them to do that. And by the way, they're also telling you your physiology says you should do that, but you mentally ignore it. Listen, listen to the dog, the dog knows.
0: It, it, seriously, seriously. So um, I, I love this notion of changing your setting, changing your scenery, being inspired uh, there. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, whether it's, uh, pets.com that was before its time or uh, you remember peapod, the grocery delivery service. I mean, we're talking. And now there's
1: like 50
0: grocery delivery service. There might be, two, there might be 200 actually. There's so many. Absolutely. And, and look, how long have marketers been, uh, really had a thing for QR codes? And yet it took the Super Bowl in 2022 to have a Pong-inspired QR code for Coinbase to help people finally wake up and go, oh, it's a QR code. Or alternatively, the menus that you see yeah, in restaurants like, out the like,
1: codes. And Coinbase was, was smart to capitalize a- on absolutely. that. I absolutely.
0: Mean, if and, only, and, if and only their SRE team had kept the site up, I mean, details, but... Yeah, well, you know, operations, you know. So uh, talk to us a little bit about how, when you when you see an idea that you know is a gem of an idea, and maybe the market is ready for it, but your own internal team or your boss isn't ready for it, how do you begin to take that gem of an idea and polish it up?
1: Yeah, are we talking about a marketing idea or like a, a business idea or a cultural idea? I mean, there's a lot of different answers to that question pending um, the context you want to put it in, but. I'll, I'll just start with bold ideas are scary to people, especially if it's an idea they haven't heard or an idea they saw, they saw someone else execute incorrectly and didn't work. Or if it's just something that, um, that seems, seems counter to the way, the way we do things, you know, um, Seth, Seth, God- Seth Godin has a great line about people like me buy things like this when he's trying to talk to how you should think about your customers and how to like put them in personas. And so anyway, when we are trying to persuade someone or a stakeholder or a group of people on an idea, I think it, it it makes sense putting it within a framework, putting it at within clear steps, showing what the outcome is going to be, you know, taking time to, to, to really put together a, a plan of what you're going to do and why you're going to do it. And um, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Because as a consultant in my early days, I had quite a few ideas that I didn't get to actually implement because the client didn't want to do them or um, they were too expensive or perceived, you know, high risk. And I learned and I still have plans and presentations. I learned that it is also selling. It is also you in the room. So in a full remote world, if you want to push something through, you're not going to do it in Slack or email. You're just not. I don't care how introverted you are. Um, you, If it's a big enough idea, get on a get on a goddamn airplane, fly and see the team and pitch it and Pitch it with passion and, and fever and, and, you know, eye contact and, you know, really show that team that they should come away thinking this person is completely bonkers about that idea. Let them fucking run with it. And so as a leader myself, you know, when I see that passion in a team member, I'm like, there's nothing that's going to stop this person. Like they're either going to do it here, or they're going to do it somewhere else. And if I value them, I'm going to trust them. Look, I hired them for my team. My whole mo. If you ever end up working with me, I I hire smart people, people way smarter than me, and I get the hell out of their way. So th- your question was funny because when people come to me with ideas, I'm just like, dude, chip it. It's my attitude because we actually don't know what works. And you know, in the digital world, everything is try things and iterate and see where it works. But you know, I'm super bullish on. Being in person on, you know, on, on, on selling it, on putting your, your passion. And guess what? You have to be prepared to put your reputation behind it, right? So if it is that bold of an idea, if you're really doing something cool, that could even involve risking your job. And if you're not doing that once in a while, I don't think you're actually doing your job. You know, you should, you should be making bets where, you know, there is, um, there, there is risk because without risk, there's no reward. And I'm not saying you necessarily need to do something super risky that will, you know, potentially bankrupt a company, right? Maybe don't go that far. Scott and I are are wired differently. We're a little crazy, so we don't mind like putting all our chips in. But, you know, if you have a family, don't do that. But, you know, you can still show just show that you're behind it. Just show that you're behind it.
0: I don't know if I ever shared this story with you. Back in 2006, when I was at an agency, a uh, uh, a digital high-tech B2B agency. There was a biotech client that we had (laughs) that wanted some advice on how to tell their story differently. And they were used to doing the white paper, the splash site, blah, blah blah. And I said, you know what? You guys need to start a podcast. This is a brand new thing called podcasting. It's basically like talk radio. You pick out a host and then you invite smart people on and you, by virtue of interviewing them and interjecting your scientific knowledge, get smart or get known as smart by association and putting out smart content. And they go, huh, that's really interesting. Do you have a case study we can read? And I go a case study. You know, this has been out for like two months. I said, "Do you want to you want to read a case study, or do you want to be a case study?" <laughs> and, they go, that. and they go, "And they go, huh? We want to read a case study." <laughs> yeah, the, the world wants to read case studies. <laughs>
1: right. No one wants to be first. Everyone wants to be you know, everyone wants to be part of the trend, but no one wants to no one wants to be first. They you risk embarrassment and failure. All these things which are wired into us. We are evolutionary wired evolutionarily wired to not take social risks. We're we're wired to take certain risks. We're, you know, talking to a a woman at a bar, we're wired for that. You know, we got that down, but we have suppressed in modernity a lot of the more, okay, go explore that, you know, that new terrain over there, or should we cross that ocean? Like a lot of those things have been tamped down to not make us cattle so much. I, I don't believe in all the conspiracy theories about, you know, us... All, all of the things about like, you know, the, the Fed trying to turn us all to cattle and the CIA controlling. It. It's not that far. But there is the – in modernity, we are all slightly more calm. It's good. You know, we don't want to be all out here picking fights with each other and, you know, causing drama and acting like idiots. So it's a good thing that we, we're more mature there. But at the same time, from, a, from like a business perspective, um, I've said this to a lot of friends to help drive the point home. So my father uh, was an MD. He was super stressed from it all the time. He was a great MD. But ultimately, um, you know, he was working on life and death every day and he had some other issues and it led to his suicide when he was in his 40s. And um, the stress from that job, you and I can't comprehend like losing people on a daily basis, right? And dealing with their families. So the point being the stakes that we have in the business world, your biotech company probably has some people with higher stakes, but like us, us having a campaign that doesn't work, what happens? We launch a new one. I mean, I, I just like, just get pat, like flex the risk muscle. Cause it is a muscle. And once you've done that enough times, it, it becomes less daunting to, you know, your original comment was, how do I push through this crazy idea? Um Ultimately that being able to do that is a factor of, just like any muscle, the more you flex it, the stronger it gets is, is having that, that, that wrist muscle and and not being afraid to use it. And I think, I think school does a good job of wringing it out of us in that, you know, everything from standardized testing to, you know, sitting in a row and being, you know, sort of, sort of indoctrinated into, you know, your whole day is is structured. And so the risk is the opposite of structure. But as you said, you know, there was no case study for doing that podcast. Of course there wasn't. There's no structure that exists yet. And so in, but but if you want to do cool things and do new things, you just have to get comfortable in that area. One other comment on that is there's also the potential. Some people have so little risk threshold. You know, they do. There's like a spectrum where you could be like Elon Musk is so far off on the risk spectrum and these, you know, a little bit crazy there, too. Right. And it manifests well for him. But for a lot of people, that results in, you know, addiction, compulsion, you know, being a gambling addict, being a full on nihilist, like the 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 difference between. Elon and a ranting person on this sh- on market street in San Francisco might just be razor thin. Right. So also within, you know, we're talking about risk. It is exciting to take risk. The reason Scott and I love it is because we're, we're, we're like very, very, you know, probably way too put together. Like we, we should be a little crazier. Everyone else is crazy, but um yeah, it's, it, it, it's just working on that risk threshold. Cause I think so many, if you're listening to a business podcast, like, you know, you're, you're, you're like us, right? We're so, we're so set in ways, right? And and so do what you can to break out of that.
0: Well, and uh, frankly, I think the only difference between Elon Musk and somebody on a street corner sometimes is just the amount of money he has. Oh yeah. and, and to me, that's made him uh, less risk averse uh, or, or more, uh, yeah, less risk averse. And, and having, I think having leaders or being leaders who um, are, are willing to let you fail, or who show their own vulnerability, right? That's a huge step that someone can stand up and say, hey, I was wrong, I made a mistake and own it and then move on and try to avoid making the same mistake again rather than the type of leadership that... Um, that that penalizes us for every single mistake that we make. And because there are so many bosses, not leaders, but bosses out there who do that, I think a lot of people become gun shy, just as you described. And you you get this downward cycle of mediocrity that's drilled into middle management.
1: That's right, and you know bo- the bosses you're talking about aren't leaders, they're managers. What do managers do? They use the authority granted to them by the factory to tell people what to do in a certain way that's always been done and try to get things to go a little bit faster here and there and optimize at the edges. And so that is part of the, you know, where it's a relic of the industrial economy, which we're in the knowledge economy now, the industrial economy is dead dying, getting automated. And so we're, but we're all still operating as if, you know, it's a normal thing. And we're all, you know, on the assembly line of, of, of creativity for marketing. And imagine, trying to put creativity on an assembly line. But there are people who would love to do that. And it's, it's, it's not how it's done.
0: Now, I want to talk to you, Adam, a little bit about creativity in the job market because you uh, most recently were uh, head of marketing, uh, VP of marketing for Lex, which uh, I'll let you describe what Lex was, and uh, chief marketing officer for Think3 and uh, director of digital marketing for a biotech company in Vitae. Um, and the way you went about getting those positions was extremely creative. You are not the traditional guy who uses LinkedIn uh, as most people do for business networking you you actually have a different methodology and a different platform so talk to us a little bit about that
1: I have no methodology um people you you say, may you may think you don't, but you actually people, do people raise their hand and ask me to help them with problems and if I like them, I help them um Yeah. I I share my thoughts on marketing sector and on invite. I share some thoughts on the biotech sector, not much because I'm not a biochemist. I can talk about the business aspects a little bit, but yeah, the the law of attraction is amplified by the internet. What that is, is your reality and what you get is simply a product of what you put out. I think that's always been true. I think we've put it on steroids thanks to Communications um, being digital and scaled. And so, um, yeah, I've actually never gotten, by the way, I've never gotten a response from a LinkedIn job, uh, ping or filling out a form on a website. I literally, I was curious because I think that whole sector is broken and I'm helping a friend with his startup idea, uh, just doing some light advisor work. But um, I actually applied for my old, old position at Google because I wanted to say to him that they're going to just auto reject me and say I'm not a fit and they did. So, you know, applying for jobs from all these things, like I'm just never going to do it because it's a numbers game and I I would I would sooner starve in the street than than play stupid games. So, um yeah, there, there's, you know, if 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 you want to go about the world in the way everyone else is doing it, then you're going to stand in line with everyone else if it's something like you know, wanting a job or something like, um, you know, wanting to get a book deal or you're wanting to, um, you know, have your band play a big show. Right. The way the the, the traditional ways, the ways everyone else does it um, is, you know, we we're talking about market cycles. A part of that is being a contrarian. If you can, you know, try it a different way and zig where people sag. So that's true as well for I think for finding employment Um. I simply share ideas online and that in and of itself I think is sufficient for um, for smart companies and smart management who are connected with a person or not even connected with them directly. But okay, a simple example is a friend of mine, Eric Friedman, his first job was at uh, out of college, was at Union Square Ventures in New York. They're like the VC firm, Fred Wilson's firm. They funded Twitter, GeoCities, uh, Coinbase. They're like a who's who of VC. And on his uh, on his first interview there, he brought he brought his resume. And um he was he sat down to talk with one of the partners, Brett. And before they started speaking, Eric's like, Oh, I brought a copy of my resume. And Brett's like, Oh, you can help hold on to that. And Eric pushed him on it. He like he was like, Wait, why do you not want to see this? And Brett's like, you know, Eric, anyone can put together a beautifully formatted twelve point font resume. Um, not everyone can fake five hundred blog posts on venture capital. And so they had read his thinking on their work and their industry before he had walked in the door. So now they get to have a conversation about you know perspectives on the industry, on what's happening right now. They're caught up. They're on the same page. And so it's it's it is a different way to hire and I think that I I would bet on organizations who hire this way all day long because it's how I find the most talented people and then you know, I, I do everything I can to keep them. And sometimes they're just so good, they go on and I can't do anything about it. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, if you want if you want a weird, a little bit crazy iconoclast people, they're probably not doing things in the way as everyone else. Um, not always the case. Of course, the, there are really talented people that, you know, play the resume and LinkedIn game. Um, I, I refuse to play it. And actually for my last, other than invite that, that actually was from uh, being friendly with, the CEO who I met at a healthcare conference. So that one does not count. Uh, The internet does not get credit. Conferences are great though. Um, Other than that, for the last two jobs, I actually, I wanted to take time off of work and random people who followed me online found me and they pull me back in, Scott, as soon as I'm out. So And Lex was awesome, so I'll I'll give a brief overview. I actually really like Lex. I remain. I'm an investor in Lex. I still um, advise for them a bit. So they're letting um, they're IPOing individual buildings, and so basically you can buy and sell shares of an individual, you know, fifty million dollar biotech facility or shipping facility or multifamily, uh, income generating piece of property. And you sit with the real estate owner, you collect, um, income every quarter, um, pretty good, like more than you would for a dividend of a stock. And it is, uh, those assets are non-correlated to the rest of the market. So they're a great company. Um, lexmarkets.com if you want to get exposure to real estate, commercial real estate. The cool thing about them that's different than a REIT, a REIT is a package of a number of real estate assets, is that you get to build your own portfolio. And frequently, a lot of garbage assets are packaged with the REIT that the uh, investment firm wants to get out the door and sell shares to public uh, investors. And what Lex decided, um, the founders are ex-real estate investors, ex-private equity, and they're like, It sucks that only, only private equity and accredited had access to these really good deals. And they're like, there's so many of these deals. We can make them available to everyone. So basically they're giving retail investors the same level of access that you used to have to be, you know, a connected billionaire for. So the mission is super cool. I'm bullish on anything working on inequality. No bad blood of, of leaving them. I was there for a year. Built their marketing machine. They're crushing numbers. Close Series A. Um, they are going to do great. It actually turns out um, they they need a different type of marketer for for their for their for their stage as a company. Um, I think that you know I, I think that ahead of marketing is appropriate up until a certain stage of growth, and then at that point you probably need more senior folk. But I think a little bit early on. Um, if, if there's like, you know, not as much budget just yet, or, you know, you're working on different areas of the company, it, it's, it might be premature to bring in someone more senior. And so I had a very honest discussion with them about the work being done. I'm not a cheap hire. And I'm like, guys, you can get someone to do all the work I'm doing for, you know, a, a fraction of the pay. I'm not gonna say specific numbers. But it, I was like, as a shareholder, guys, like, you guys, are, you guys are burning money on me. We're a startup, stop it. So um, I totally, I love the team. Um, i have beers with them every time um i see them still and cuz they come to austin as well so yeah it's and you know what another thing about st- startups is um it it, it is sort of a, a it is sort of a you know very fast paced things can change at any moment a uh, situation personally professionally for the industry for markets and so if you want to try that life it it's exciting it's fun it's you know a lot of different challenges and new things every day it's different than going and punching the clock at the nuclear power plant. Um, so, yeah, I, and in a full remote world, it's pretty easy to join one. And onboarding with all these new SaaS startups, you, just a few clicks, you're already working. They're trying to abstract all that all away. Adam, so, there's um,
0: nothing wrong with working at a nuclear power plant. <laughs> um, Homer, stop it. Uh, you, you know, the, the, the whole model that you describe about Lex, I mean, I've seen something very similar uh, in the art world with Masterworks, Um, where it's, it's partial ownership. And this is, this is the way forward because not everybody has the deep pockets to buy the whole hog, uh, and they can own a portion of it and receive the dividends and continue to reinvest. Uh, I think it's an incredibly smart model and, and it probably will extend to more than real estate or art or these other high end uh, markets in the future. Can
1: I own a fraction of Scott is the question.
0: <laughs> well, uh, you'll have to debate that with my wife. I think I'll tell you what though. She, she's majority owner. She yeah. is a majority owner, but, but what you're talking about just in terms of the structure and the staffing and everything like that, this is why I decided to throw my fortune in with chameleon collective, because this is pretty much what we do. We've got a hundred or so marketers and communications folks. And, you can staff up, staff down and put together a, a team of a single interim leader, if you want, or a whole bunch of people that are on the growth marketing side to help you actually execute, bring, bring them in for three months, six months, a year or whatever. And we do a lot of private equity work. Uh, they're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, intelligence in this kind of model that's different than consulting and it's different than, uh, the traditional agency model.
1: Yeah, you're solving a hard problem. You're helping companies immediately staff a team that, in this hiring environment, is difficult. And if you can do that with quality, you are solving a real, a, a really hard and meaty problem that that might not get solved. I mean, you if, if you're a company right now, you might not be able to find really good engineering talent, marketing talent, HR talent, you know, people are either not making moves in a, in a pandemic or hunkering down, or they've realized they were underpaid and now just got a great new role. And so it's it is a buyer's market. If you are listening to this and hate your life and hate your job, You should go make change. You know, if
0: you hate your life and your job, your employer is not for you. It's not personal. Just let it go and find something else. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, loyalty traditionally has gone only one way between employers. It's loyalty to them to leave a situation you're unhappy with. It's
1: actually a sign of respect if you leave a position that you're unhappy with. There you go.
0: There you mm-hmm. go. So, uh, so Adam, I, I want to um, make sure we cover this. Um, you know, you're you're post Lex now. You're looking for the next opportunity. Um, you've been a master at just sharing great content, um, being constantly plugged in. Um, you know, being a whether you like the term or not, being a networker on Twitter just by virtue of being yourself and talking with people, which is really what networking is. The um, technical term is poster. Okay. <laughs> I got it. I got it. We'll we'll edit that out and post. So you. So w- what's what's next for you? What do you want to do?
1: Um. So I I hate that question. I think that. Um, All right. You rephrase it in terms of the no, question fine. you'd you're, like to get. You uh, you ask it in a well meaning way. Um. A friend of mine, Renee, just left her job, and she's like one of my favorite marketers. She's has like four startup exits. She's really successful, and she's just taking some time off of work. And we talked about this and she's like, this is the first question everyone asked me. Like sometimes it's okay to not have that answer. And I think when you do have that answer, you're excited to share it. So I actually, because everyone asked me now, I'm like, I understand because she was super burnt out. She was like going going to a therapist ready to like, you know, not jump off a bridge, but you know, do something stupid, not anything harmful. But um, I, I think that I... I personally don't know what I'm doing next, but I know I'm not asking people who are, who are also fun employed what they're doing next. Um, no, I'm gonna, you know, work on my house a bit. Um, I like to write. We're natural writers. You and I, you know, I write a substack at adamsinger.substack.com. It's linked in my Twitter. It's pretty easy to find. You can just Google it. Um, I write music in my free time. So working on some more of that and, um, yeah i also do some investments i've whether i'm working or not i have plenty of things going on in in my life probably too many things if anything like i should cool down my interests and you know focus on a few and do them and do them better so um uh yeah
0: i, I- think I think that's great. I mean, I have, a, I have no answer for you. No, no I, that, that's that's fine. I mean, plan. Yeah, well, look, I think a lot of the things that have happened to you have happened simply simply because you've made yourself open to having conversations. Yeah. And so, you, I, I am actually interviewing with some companies. I just have no idea
1: if if you know I'm going to accept an offer or, um, you know, we'll 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 kind of see what happens, but. I'm sorry to go off on you about that question because because I didn't have a good answer for you i wanted to I, I wanted to be annoying about that
0: question well, as annoying as you best. know what it's probably very helpful because I'll bet there's a lot of other people out there in similar situations that are going to get asked that same annoying question, so it's their opportunity to think about it and to berate their interview. <laughs> <laughs> well. We We also, we live and die by calendars. And so everyone yeah.
1: always knows what they're doing next. So just like some people can't sit alone in a room with no stimulus for five minutes, 10 minutes, God forbid, 30 minutes. Um, I don't think a lot of those people, same people would know what to do next without a calendar telling them.
0: That's that's a great point. And, and frankly, I think the last two years in the pandemic has thrown our sense of time completely off kilter. And has given us an opportunity to have more downtime. You know, you take away those commutes, and and well, unfortunately, it takes away a lot of podcast listening. Unfortunately for this host,
1: no, um, I, I listen to twice as many podcasts when I'm working from home. I'm always listening to podcasts.
0: You are fortunate in that regard, my friend, because I need thinking time. I can't do words. I have to do music. So, ah, oh, okay. Well, that's, that's I got my, you
1: covered. On the, I have you covered on the music. Side.
0: I know you do. And we're going to have links to your music and to your Substack as well as Twitter and LinkedIn I, uh, in the show notes awesome thank you scott so uh adam what 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 other words of wisdom do you wish to impart on us at this point
1: um words of wisdom not so much wisdom i think that you know we're going through an incredible period in history you know History doesn't crawl, it leaps. That's what's happening right now. So I think, you know, embracing a stoic view of things, especially if, you know, huge populations are being displaced because of the actions of a previous gen despot who I think we're slowly phasing these people out. I don't think there's too many left cross fingers. Um, I think, you know, having yourself able to be in a good place mentally is the first and only thing to focus on because if you can't do that, nothing else matters. So work on that. We're all working on it. Anyone who says they're not is lying to you or um, they have tons of issues and they're thirst posting a hundred times a day about how, you know, we're hustling, we're, we're hustling all the time or we're grinding. Here's, you know, here's the 30 things I did this week, right? Like those people are probably more than the people who are at least like feeling stressed, right? So um, don't cover it up with hustle or, you know, trying to, trying to posture or, you know, trying to be a big man to like your family, even if you're like, you know, you're working too hard or doing too many things or taking on too much responsibility, like, you know, know, know when you need to stop and pause and not working. I have the luxury of having done that. And when you do that for a little while, take a vacation, right? You'll pretty clearly see, oh, like me being in that you know, two-hour-long management meeting where I say three things every day is probably a dumb use of time, right? So, like, you need perspective. We talked about that earlier. Once you get it, um, apply it. Don't just ignore it because because you're not dumb. Your brain is smart. It knows. Give it the space it can to 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 understand what's going on and the time to reflect, and then things get better and you're less stressed. So,
0: well, sage words, perspective, and action. I think put together, at least put together in the right formula. They can create a lot of success.
1: I am not breaking any new philosophical ground. We've done all of these things, which is why I love philosophy. It is the ultimate grift. You can take (laughs) something that's existed forever, repackage it and sell it. It is marketing in its purest form. You're not giving someone anything new. You're giving them something that existed that they just didn't know about, or you're making it palatable for them. Like, how fun is that?
0: This is how it was passed from Socrates to Plato to Aristotle.
1: Yeah. Well, and now we have Nietzsche, so everyone's a bit of an edgeboard. Right. <laughs> <but. laughs>
0: well, Adam Singer, thanks so much for being our guest here on Timeless Leadership.
1: Scott, it is always so fun to talk to you.
0: The world throws all kinds of options at us. We have decisions to make about those every day. Only you know what's best for you, but with a little encouragement and risk taking, you. Can have a bias for action. Thank you for joining us and for being an advocate for timeless and principled leadership, whenever and wherever you find it. I'm Scott Monty. Until next time, may you dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, for you are a leader.